38 of the Reconomy podcast, where we discuss economic issues that impact real estate, housing, and affordability. I'm Odetta Kushi, Deputy Chief Economist at First American, and here with me is Mark Fleming, Chief Economist at First American. Hey, Mark, I think for today's episode, we should really reach for the stars. Well, one star in particular. Can you guess? Hi, Odetta. Stars. There's so many kinds of stars. You're going to have to give me a little bit more information than that. Sure thing. What's a pirate's favorite letter? Hmm. Okay. Oh, oh, I get it. Reach for the stars. A pirate's favorite letter. We must be talking about the elusive R star. Correct. And if you're a little confused, listener, R star refers to the natural or neutral rate of interest. It's been getting a little bit more attention these days because Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell recently brought it up at a press conference after the Fed announced a 50 basis point hike in the federal funds rate. But before we get into what he said and what implications it has, what the heck is it? Great question, Odetta. Okay. I'll try this without too much economic jargon, which is going to be difficult on this one. Yes. (laughs) It's the short-term interest rate level when the economy is both at full employment and inflation is stable. It's like the ideal but elusive price, I'm air quoting here, for money, if you think of an interest rate as the price for money. The lower R star, the cheaper the price of money necessary for that full employment and inflation balance. The higher R star, the more expensive the price of money. The Fed may choose to set the benchmark federal funds rate above the neutral rate to cool the economy, because that's essentially making the price of money too high relative to that balance. Or it could set the federal funds rate below the neutral rate to stimulate the economy. So if you're aiming for the neutral rate exactly, then that would be an interest rate that neither spurs growth nor slows growth. Makes sense. It makes a lot of sense in theory, but I said it was elusive for a reason. The neutral rate isn't observable. Chairman Powell, in fact, said the neutral rate was not something we can identify with any precision. Neutral rate is one of those things that's only indirectly observable by observing how the economy, the labor market, and inflation is behaving. Economists have tried to estimate R-star, but that's also proving to be an elusive challenge. Another important point to make is that the neutral rate is always discussed in real terms, that is, with inflation subtracted out. So what are the estimates saying that the neutral rate is right now? Well, Chairman Powell suggests that the Fed believes that our star is currently somewhere between 2 and 3 percent, assuming an inflation rate of 2 percent. Powell's insisted that the Fed's not going to hesitate to go beyond our star if warranted by the economic data that will come out this summer to get rid of inflation. That's the primary objective right now of the Fed, meaning that the federal funds rate may in fact go even higher than that natural rate of inflation that we can't actually observe or measure in attempt to cool inflation. Well, that kind of begs the question, what was the neutral rate pre-pandemic? Ah, yes, a walk down history lane. We looked at the Holston-Laubach-Williams estimate of the neutral rate of interest relative to the effective federal funds rate. The most recent neutral rate update was in the second quarter of 2020. No surprises here because of the extraordinary volatility of GDP in the pandemic. The authors have not updated their estimates since. But that data in 2020 showed that the neutral rate was at a 60-year low, 0.71%, and slightly below the federal funds rate at the time. So yes, the real price of money 
was almost free. That's significantly lower than the prior to the global financial crisis. And what's most interesting is that prior to the GFC, our star was consistently much higher, typically actually somewhere between 2 and 4% since the mid-1970s. The very low neutral rate phenomenon is not contained in the U.S. alone. It's similar for other advanced economies, including the United Kingdom, Canada, and the Euro area. Interesting. I wonder what's driving a persistently low neutral rate of interest. Odetta, I'm glad you asked. But we can't really know for sure. There are several factors that have been proposed. An aging population, a decline in productivity growth, the flight to safety, here in the United States at least. Let's tackle each of them. Odetta, would you like to start? I'd love to. So first, an aging population or global graying. You might be asking yourself what this has to do with the neutral rate, and the answer is that an aging population increases the old age dependency ratio. This is the ratio of the number of older people who are gen generally economically inactive, so usually age 65 and over, compared with the number of people of working age. An aging population limits the supply of workers in an economy and reduces the output of an economy. Fewer workers to supply with capital investment means less demand for new investment, pushing down that neutral rate of interest. At the same time, increasing life expectancy in advanced economies means people are saving more in anticipation for retirement, increasing the supply of savings and also driving down that neutral rate. All right, you're next. Slower productivity growth. I feel it's like one of those, tag, you're it. <laughs> tag, you're it. Exactly. The economic expansion in the aftermath of the global financial crisis was the longest, but also the slowest in terms of cumulative GDP growth since the start of the expansion. Long and slow. Similarly, productivity growth has been very slow in the aftermath of the global financial crisis as well. So lower productivity growth means less demand for new capital investment. We just don't need as much money to apply to the worker to make them more productive, which pushes down the neutral rate of interest. And last but not least, Odetta, tag your it. The, the flight to safety. So our domestic economy is more globally interconnected than ever before. And one outcome of this globally connected financial market is that when uncertainty increases globally, the demand for safe harbor assets, like US treasuries, increases. So put another way, global uncertainty creates a flight to safety and security of US government long-term treasury bonds, which increases the supply of capital domestically and drives down the neutral rate of interest. Exactly. All that capital in the U.S. drives down the price of money. Economist Alvin Hansen co coined the term secular stagnation in the 1930s following the Great Depression. He used it to describe a chronic lack of investment demand relative to capital to supply. Sound familiar? But in this context, secular referred to the long-term nature of the stagnation. Today, though, we use the term secular stagnation to refer to the long period of high global capital savings relative to that low demand for capital investment. So let me sum this up because I think we're getting a little econ wonky here. So global graying has resulted in excess savings while slower productivity growth reduces demand for capital investment. The U.S. serving as a safe haven for foreign assets exacerbates the savings glut domestically. And the result? The price of money, or the neutral rate of interest, is low because the economy is in a new era of secular stagnation. 
Ah, uh, yes. But Odetta, there's also some new research from a Fed working paper entitled The Neutral Rate of Interest Through a Hall of Mirrors. I'll explain in a second. Which implies that the decline in the neutral rate of interest reflects not the demographic savings and capital factors that we just described, but rather a hall of mirrors. An effect in which lower policy rates change private sector behavior in ways that lower our star. Essentially, the Fed and the private sector are each reacting to each other's moves and interpreting each other's expectations of what they think the other, the other believes the elusive R star to be. And what happens when you put these mirrors facing each other is the reflection keeps bouncing back and forth, a hall of mirrors. This would have very different policy implications than the reasons we previously cited. The demographic savings and capital explanations for a lower neutral rate cannot be changed easily by policymakers. So R star is not really in the control to be set by policymakers. But a hall of mirrors explanation, on the other hand, may allow for a change by signaling a clear expectation to the private sector. So the elusive R star is that much more uncertain now because we're not even sure how it really operates. So getting back to why this all matters, or I guess, does it even matter? Well. That's a great question because this is really wonky economics. But recall that Chairman Powell in his press conference said that the neutral rate of interest is between two and 3% with a wide margin of uncertainty. And they're using that as a target for where they're going to do their federal funds rate moves. In other words, they're not really sure how high is too high. Rates will likely there go there this year according to the Fed dot plot explanations and all the telegraphing that they're doing. But will it be enough? And since we're housing economists, we have to ask the question, what's the implication for the housing market? Tighter monetary policy is an indication that the Fed is trying to cool things down, including the housing market. So more aggressive rate hikes, certainly, um, and aggressive quantitative uneasing, which was also announced at that um, set meeting a couple weeks ago, could put more upward pressure on mortgage rates and cool housing demand. That's the affordability effect. We talk about that all the time, but there is another. Yes, there is. It's no surprise that rising rates reduce affordability, as you mentioned, but they also keep homeowners' rate locked in. The difference between the prevailing mortgage rate, which is currently over 5%, and the outstanding rate, that's the average of all outstanding mortgages, is a proxy for the extent to which homeowners are rate locked in. The more positive the difference, the more borrowers have better rates on their mortgage than the market rate. That means the more the lock-in effect. So the more owners are rate locked in effect, rate locked in, the less likely to sell and then buy. And that means fewer sales. Great point. Rising rates may cool demand, but they may also crimp supply. That's some tricky business. But will getting the Fed's fund rate to or above that elusive neutral rate be enough? That really depends on inflation. If inflation remains higher than the neutral rate will also need to be higher. Pinning down that neutral rate of interest is really difficult on a normal year, but it's even more of a moving target in such an uncertain year. And Powell has been clear, he remains data dependent and will raise the federal funds rate as far as it needs to go to get us to stable inflation. So maybe our star isn't the monetary policy North Star after all, maybe it's inflation. Yeah, maybe. All right. Well, that's it for today's episode. We love an opportunity to get Econ Wonky on this podcast, and we hope that you enjoyed it as well. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Reconomy podcast. 
If you have an economics-related question you'd like us to feature on a future episode, you can email us at economics at firstam.com. We love to hear from our listeners. And if you can't wait for the next episode, please follow us on Twitter. It's at Odetokushi for me and at mflemingecon for Mark. Until next time. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Reconomy podcast from First American. For even more economic content, visit firstam.com economics. This episode is copyright 2022 by First American Financial Corporation. All rights reserved.